Katie Chipper. And I'm Jen Northington. And this is Tar Valinor Bust, a Wheel of Time podcast. We are rereading the books in honor of the TV show adaptation's release. We're talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite moments and digging into all things Wheel of Time. And this is our patron call-in show. Ah, I loved this. This was such a good idea. You had such a good idea. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, we have had such interesting discussions over in the Patreon comments section. And I was like, what if people called in and told us their thoughts about the finale. That would be fun. And it was. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so without further ado, here are the voicemails you all left us and had some very, very interesting points, which we will kind of talk about after the voicemails play. Hey, this is Sam, and I just want to say thank you for doing this podcast because that's what got me started reading the books. I hadn't read any before, uh, but once I knew Preeti was doing this, she's so much fun that I, I wanted to read along and just to get to experience it. And so it's been fun watching the show and, you know, knowing stuff that's going to happen. But then on the show, it'll change something, and it'll be really exciting to get surprises like that in the show and be like, oh, I did not know they were going to do that or go that direction. You know, not all of it is, is stuff that I like, but most of it is it's just different but cool still. Um, and I've just really been liking it. That finale had so many surprises. Like, you know, I thought I knew how that storyline should play out and the fact that it went so differently and had so many cool mo- moments, especially that Nanive and Egwene with all that channeling, that stuff was super cool, getting to see them use their powers. Um, and just so exciting that the, the horn is, is in play already. Um, it was just neat and it's, it's, I've enjoyed it. I can't wait to see more. I can't wait to read more. And it's just been a great time. So thank you guys for everything. Bye. Hi, Sarah Rebecca from Chicago. I'm kind of 75-25 split on how I'm enjoying the show. I think that I want to be incredibly generous with the creators because it's so much source material, the idea of adapting so many books into a cohesive narrative that is both appealing to book readers, but also to a wider audience who may have never encountered the source material is a task that I could definitely never do. So I want to be like gracious and generous with them about that. And I do think that some of the changes they're making are really interesting. I'm I actually am loving the visualization of what it looks like to channel. I know in some of the earlier episodes that y'all had, there was like, you know, are they using their hands too much? I don't know. And I find it interesting in terms of like a visualization. And especially if you're thinking, when I'm thinking about it as like, if all of these channelers and the Aes Sedai studies together, I'm interested to see like, how it's different from how maybe the movements of the Shanjin and if that's going to be something that um, matters later on. So, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying that. And I think the costuming perhaps is the thing that is bringing me back to the show week after week. I'm just blown away by that and by the acting and the, the, the character relationships, the visualization of those costumes and the variety of garbs for Aes Sedai, even within certain Ajas, I think is really fascinating. I don't know that I think the final episode worked for me kind of at all. Eek! Um, it felt, I think, maybe it was Jen 
that used the like word like unsatisfied. I didn't, and I know there was a lot of conversation of like, is that because of the battle scene? And maybe, but I also think that there's something about the group's journey to the eye of the world together in the books that by splitting them up and then and then having to have like such weird pacing when you're like jumping from cut to cut to cut in order to have everybody in part of this episode in this like yeah feel like they're having shared time it didn't really work and I missed because the kind of like we're in this together to the end feeling um and I miss <laughs> loyal and the or loyal and, and the green man um but I don't know yeah so something isn't landing quite right and I'm interested to see if maybe it's just I need another season to, for them to continue kind of tying everything together. Hi, this is Ruth, and I just listened to your episode about the finale, and um, I agreed a lot with what we were saying about the um, scene with Perrin and Padden Fane, and I had thought when I was watching, I loved most of it, but that scene didn't really work for me, and I had a couple of thoughts as to why, and it, it mostly boiled down to I think that that scene suffered the most from Barney Harris not being there. Because I think that scene would have played really, really differently if Matt had also been in the room. The first thing being, reason being that Matt's the character they had established as most strongly having a connection with Fane. So it probably would have rung really different for Fane to say what he did about, oh, I visit every year if he's talking to the character that he actually has a scene with in the first episode. And then beyond that, I think that Perrin's inaction would have worked better contrasted to another character in the scene being more active, but Perrin doesn't have a reason to be particularly active against Fane in that scene. So they didn't give him any of the lines that maybe the Matt would have had in the scene. And then uh, last thing, and then this is all I'm going to say because I'm sure you're getting a lot of call-ins. Um, I also really didn't like, and I totally agree with you about the, oh, one of you will go dark voiceover thing. And I think that, you know, you had posited maybe that's, you know, a villain sort of saying, what the hero fears to be true about themselves and not the show trying to tell it to us as a narrator. But because that had to be given as something Pat and Bane was saying in a voiceover about Matt rather than said to him, I think it played really, really differently. So if he'd said, you know, some of you will turn dark and it had been said to Matt and you saw a reaction about him fearing that being true about himself, it probably would have landed really differently. Uh, that's all. I just thought that of all the scenes where I was like, oh, Matt is missing from this scene, the confrontation between Pat Bane and Perrin was a really big one, and it made me sad about it, and I'm excited to get Matt back as a character next season. Um, hi, this is Brendan. I love the podcast. Um, hard to say from the Sean Chan scene in the final episode um, exactly what they're going to do with it, but I thought it was a little disappointing that they're made out to be some sort of maybe generic other, kind of an orientalist style, this like resolution where people are scary and different, um, contrasted to the kind of vaguely European um, countries and the main continent where most of the books take place. Um, and they also have their own language, which seems like a big difference from, from the books. The books, of course, they have the Jamal, which I was kind of interested to see how they would depict if they would. And it also goes to what sorts of metaphors they want to use. Um, I was just listening to your episode where you mentioned how uncomfortable it is that George decided to depict chattel slavery and doesn't really have much to say other than it's very bad and you should feel bad about it. Um, but there's this other aspect of the Shanshan 
for a metaphor for our world, which they're the colonialists. And they're like the cultural group that splintered from the main continent. They colonized and conquered the faraway continent, and they imposed like a horrible social order based on chattel slavery. They're really a metaphor for America under that reading. And if they had American accents or accents like people from the U.S. South, that would be uh, maybe interesting. Or at least have something more to say compared to, I don't know, the scary people with face paint who are terrible in some ways, which seems like that's the way the show might be going. Just based on that very brief scene, who knows? All right, thanks. Hi, Preeti and Jen. This is Dan from New Jersey. I first heard about your podcast when Preeti went on Jason Concepcion's podcast, and I was really excited to hear her talking about my favorite book series and the upcoming adaptation. So I immediately started listening to the show, recaps, and I really need to start catching up on the book ones. Overall, I think the season succeeded, but I thought the finale was really the weakest episode. Uh, three, four, and seven were my favorites. I'd encourage everyone to check out uh, Brandon Sanderson's reaction to the finale on the Dusty Wheel show because he expressed my thoughts much better than I probably could. I just think the writing and visuals of that episode could have been better. I thought the blight really just kind of looked weird, not really that scary. The circle of women's channelers and the Trollocs, the whole battle, I don't think really quite landed. I think they really had a lot of challenges with COVID, so really hope to hit the ground running in season two. And I don't think the finale really was that far off from what happened in the books, at least in terms of setting up what happens in The Great Hunt, preparing hunting for the horn. Please get Matt there, too, somehow. Nynaeve and Nguyen needing to get training at the White Tower, and Rand being Moody. I'm almost positive he will still end up in Kyria and meet a certain mysterious woman. And I hope we get some awesome set pieces and some great character development with Edmonds Field 5 next season. Maybe Falma and Tear both next season? And I think Nynaeve was my favorite character in season one, and Perrin was really my least favorite. Um, I had seen the leak about Perrin's wife, so I was emotionally prepared for the fridging, but still really didn't think it worked. And uh, his, I think Perrin's whole arc this season was really not strong, and the writers really didn't give him much to do, except for the Egwene sort of love triangle that I really didn't think was well executed, and I also really didn't like from a story choice perspective either. So I definitely agree with you two on that one. Anyway, those are my thoughts, and overall, pretty excited for the next season. And I hope that's going to improve on some of the uneven pacing, and hopefully fewer head-scratching changes, uh, and just more awesome changes, I guess. So, anyway, thanks for this podcast. Uh, I really enjoy listening to it. Hey, Breathing and Jim. It's Brian, just calling with my thoughts on the finale. Uh, I think listening to your show really put into perspective what worked and what kind of didn't work for me about it. And it's not that different than the original ending of The Eye of the World in the sense that the Rand and Moraine story is the only one where we feel like our characters have any direct agency. And the Eamon's Field 5 gets knocked out pretty quickly at the end of book one. But on the show, they have stuff to do, but none of them are really driving it with their own choices. Amelisa is calling the shots once Nynaeve and Egwene show up to fight the Trollocs, and Perrin is dithering over whether the the way of the leaf means to do anything or just sit there and watch your friends get stabbed, which, you know, isn't a great look. Even though he's seen that uh, the way of the leaf doesn't mean inaction, and Isla and Ran and the Tinkers linking arms to prevent the White Cloaks from doing anything to to capture them earlier in the season. I mean, those are... 
I think, valid complaints about the show. But on the whole, I'm very happy, and I was excited to see that the two inciting incidents were books two and three happened at the end of the episode where uh, the horn gets stolen and then Rand sort of pieces out and ditches the group as a whole. So I think the next season could be a really interesting mix of both two and three at the same time, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. All right. Take care, you guys. Hi, Preeti and Jen. This is uh, Jet Lai Jessica from um, Patreon. Um, I so love that you're doing this call-in. Thank you so much for doing a call-in show. I think it's an awesome idea. Um, I am with both of you. I'm, I'm generally kind of 80-20 in favor of the show. I'm really enjoying the ride. I'm excited to see where Rafe and team go next season and kind of what changes they make to get us all the way through to the end of the story. Um and just think it's been really interesting. Totally agree with you both in terms of costuming and um, all of the scene setting. I think the world feels really lived in and really just kind of beautifully uh, built by the set designers and um, Isis Rasmunden and her team in, in costuming. Um, it's just really fabulous. The things that I am kind of struggling with, I think, for me, that 20% is um, – the fact that because they only have had eight episodes instead of the ten they originally requested, we I feel like we are getting a lot of telling about who is important and why these people and places are important, but not enough kind of showing to really have an emotional impact. And that, for me, really was very true with both Tom, Marilyn, and with Agalmar, where in the books we have enough time to really see how important they are and why losing these characters really means a lot um, and the meaning behind the loss of each character, whereas I feel like in the show, because they had to move so quickly and tell us so much in such a short period of time, we haven't really had a chance to know, other than the fact that these people are important to the journey and let's keep it trucking. I really am enjoying this a lot. I had a conversation with a friend the other night about that love triangle fight speculation and I think like you, Preeti, I thought that it was really something that was kind of shoehorned in there, and we were wondering whether it was really um, due to um, Barney Harris's departure and the fact that they had to maybe potentially move some things around. I'm so sorry. This is Jet Lag Jessica again. I did not mean to leave uh, an (laughs) eight-year-long message. Um, Anyway, um, just wanted to tell you both that I'm really loving it. I'm loving the show. I'm loving the podcast, and thank you for being kind of fellow travelers and guides in, to, in this story. Um, I started reading the book series mostly because of your excitement, Preeti, on, on Twitter. So um, I'm all in. I'm really loving it. Thank you both so much. Hi, Preeti and Jen. This is Evans K., a long-time listener, first-time caller. I was calling because there were some things that y'all had questions about that I wanted to clear up in case you hadn't already cleared them up by now. So in the like a loon, I decided to start doing a reread of The Eye of the World over my Christmas break. And in the prologue to The, the Eye of the World, um, the ring that Luz Theron wears as the sort of leader of the Eyes to Die on the Age of Legends is called the Ring of Tamerlan. And then, like, other non-canon sources have said that Tamerlan is probably a linguistic derivation from Tamerlan. So he calls her that as a title, but it's not actually a title in canon as far as we know. Um, also, that character, Latroposide Detsume, is from a 
short story written by Robert Jordan called The, sea, the Strike at Shale Ghoul, which is all about that story, like how they found the Dark One into his prison. Um, so she's never mentioned in any of the main books, which is why no one had ever heard of her. Um, also, one thing I thought was interesting is that she refers to Luz Theron as the Dragon Reborn and not as the Dragon, which I thought was very strange because as far as I am aware, maybe I'm just completely out of the loop, he was the first dragon that we refer to as the Dragon. Obviously, the Wheel of Fiscal, there's been a million dragons, but for whatever reason, her calling him to his face, the Dragon Reborn, seemed like a strange choice. And I'm curious to know if Rafe had mentioned why he did that. I read the interview and I didn't see anything about it, so I was just curious. Um, also, um, when Amalisa takes the power from the circle of the linked women channeling, later in the series, um, this is not a spoiler, but like it's, they explain that it doesn't matter how strong a woman is, any woman can initiate a, a circle, and whoever initiates the circle takes all of the, the power from all of the eyes to die, and she risks burning herself out, as we see happen, but the, the personal strength of the person who creates the circle does not define how much power the circle can use. Yeah. Um, also, I definitely would say there was a lot of stuff that I missed not seeing in the series, some character-building stuff, the stuff in Barillon, uh, Matt and Rand's trip with Tom, sort of Tom in general, I'm kind of, because he was one of my favorite characters in the book, so we'll see what they do with him. But I think all in all, the things that they removed and the story elements that they changed do not detract from the story itself. So I think the the main point is, I guess, being made, if that makes sense. Like, I miss the bits that are gone, but I think the way that they made those changes makes for a great show and great entertainment, and hopefully this will help convince me or help my, me convince my friends to get into The Wheel of Time so then they can start reading the books, and I can have someone to nerd out with whenever I feel like it. I'm currently on my seventh reread since the last book came out, and I need someone to do that with. Uh, thank you, guys. The podcast is awesome. Uh, and, yeah, look forward to the next episode. Bye. Hello. Sorry, it's Evans K again. I forgot something in my last message. Uh, the Shantan, it looks like to me, at least from what I gathered, I don't know if y'all remember the way that they described the Sharans in the book and the way that the Ayad, the channelers from Shara, have elaborate tattoos covering their bodies, including their face. So, like, I don't know if the face paint they're using on the Shanshan channelers is going to be, like, are they combining those two sort of malevolent forces within the world into one cohesive enemy? Curious to see how they do that. But, yeah, that was, I just, okay, that's it. Bye. Hi, Tarbell and Urbust. This is Mimi. Um, thank you so much for letting us call in. I just wanted to say a few things about this first season of Wheel of Time. Um, it was really amazing to see this world that we love come to life. And it was very clear to me that Rafe and the team love the Wheel of Time and are putting so much thought and care into building this world and its characters. The details and texture are amazing. The way they're trying to keep canon on a macro level and introduce canon breaks thoughtfully as needed. Uh, but I have to admit the changes are very jarring. And I don't like all of the changes, and I'm not convinced that they all work. Even as I recognize the thinking that went into most of the changes. I think this is the distinction we need to make which I think you two do really well. The haters, or what I've heard called the book cloaks, I love that word, 
they're extremely unhelpful. Uh, I'm hearing people say things like, Rafe obviously didn't read the books. And, and that's just ridiculous. Rafe's deep read and deep love of the books is very clear. Sarah Nakamura's expertise as the book consultant is very clear. So I've shifted my approach to the show. Um, I know some people have used the concept of a new turning of the wheel to help them deal with the changes. I've heard Brandon Sanderson uh, talk about that as his approach to thinking about the show. And I don't think I need that exactly, but I am letting go of my attachment to exact plot points and I'm focusing more on the characters. So my main question has become, are these the characters I love? And are they responding in the right ways to their environments? I can deal with plot changes that are thoughtful. I can even deal with moving things up in the timeline and making our character arcs happen a little faster. I cannot deal with out-of-character behavior because then they're not the characters that I love anymore. So this is where I think the show did the best and the worst. Almost all of the characters feel like the characters to me. That is amazing. It's amazing how the show has distilled their personalities and shown them to us in just eight episodes. And I think they've been improved on some characters, giving them more depth, like Leandrin. Who knew I could ever feel for Leandrin? I've also always loved Nynaeve in the books, but show Nynaeve, I think, is even better. And show Lan is dreamy in a way I couldn't have imagined. Then there's Perrin. Oh, Perrin. I think the show did Perrin so dirty. I heard Brandon Sanderson say that the show gave Perrin too much trauma and then couldn't move his character at all through the season, and I completely agree with that. Fridging is terrible. It's misogynist and lazy. And here you can see that it's not only disrespectful to the female characters, it's actually disrespectful to the male protagonist as well, because either you take the trauma seriously and then have to plunge the character into an abyss for a very long time, or you don't take it seriously in order to move the plot along, and then you give your character's emotional life short shrift. So I think Perrin is where the show did the worst, and I really hope they make up for it in season two. But overall, I love, love, love the show. Love seeing Wheel of Time come to life. I've been able to share my love of Wheel of Time with my family, my partner, who's not a book reader, and my three kids. Uh, my 10-year-old daughter has become a book reader. She's reading the books with me right now. Reading Harry Potter with her over the last few years was special, but now reading Wheel of Time together is a whole other level. Thanks for letting me share. And thank you all for all that you do. You two give me such joy. Both of your laughters and Preeti's grossed out sound is my favorite. Uh, yeah. Okay. So many good comments. Mm -hmm. Like I am, I can't believe we didn't think of this, but Ruth's comment about how different that scene with Peyton Fane and Perrin would have gone in had, the finale. Yeah. In the finale, yeah. Had Matt been there, because. So right. Like, mm -hmm. so, so, so right. Right? Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Like, it's just, yeah, it's so interesting. It was so, it's such a good thought. <laughs> it, it really is because I, picturing Matt in that scene and picturing Peyton Fane saying 
the thing about the darkness to mm-hmm. Matt versus like as well. And we don't know what their intent was, but right. well, I like that. I think it's deliberate that they showed a cut shot of Matt when he was I know. like, and one of you will turn to the dark. So, But having Matt contend with that being spoken to him yes. versus this implication that it shall just come to pass. Yeah. Uh, wildly different. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really good point. I also really loved Mimi distinguishing between the macro canon versus the micro canon in the way mm. they're adapting the show. Yeah. Like, oh, that's such good framing. Like, I hadn't thought about it that way before. Also, her imitation of your anxiety noise was so spot on. <laughs> like, that killed me. <laughs> that was not so, like, I'm not sure that I'm conscious that I'm doing it. So that was very funny to me because I think... <laughs> Like, people comment on our laughter a lot, I think, yes. but the other noises is not, they are not so frequently brought up. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Um, I also really appreciated Evan's note about Tamerlin. Yes. That was fascinating and also kind of hilarious of, like, it's from this, like, short story. <laughs> <laughs> the, like, amount of lore that y'all have access to in your brains is never-endingly impressive to me. It, like Seriously. <laughs> So, so intense. I can't remember books that we have literally talked about on this podcast. I'm like, did we read that? Did we, we did that happen? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, yeah. It happened in the last, like the book you read like a month ago. (laughs) Right. Oh, okay. I will have to take your word for it. But yeah, that was super good. I also really loved Brendan's comment about Oriolette orientalism and the portrayal mm-hmm. of the shanshan and colonialism like that is such an interesting point that i did not think about like how m- much more they could do with a mm-hmm. different costume design yeah and like we haven't i guess we kind of heard them talk like they talked in not a language right that we know so but yeah super interesting super interesting yeah they have time to like consider how they're gonna approach that because agreed yeah. it, it it's like a it's like a shift in in perspective on how to pr- like consider them yeah I love the idea of them being like colonists yeah well because they are but like yeah. being portrayed that way as opposed to like an othering like an exoticizing as it were yeah um, like, for a western like, audience obviously yeah let them be western colonizers yeah yeah. So Agreed. Interesting. Agreed. So there interesting. are just so many like you you all brought up so many like interesting and cool points. Like mm-hmm. we really appreciate everyone who took the time to call in. Like yeah. it's yeah. so awesome. Like your and thoughtfulness exciting. and your kindness are are like a balm to the soul. Yeah. <laughs> really, mm. they are. I was like listening to them and texting Jen. It's like everyone's so nice. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it's really it's very heartwarming. Thank you all. Um, we, so this will go up a couple days before our our first episode on A New Spring, which is up on Wednesday, January 12th. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yes. January 12th. Um, but, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can keep an eye out for all Tarval and her bust episodes that now that we're back to our book scheduling, Every other Wednesday, uh, you can follow along with us on social with hashtag Tar or Bust. 
And a big thank you to Brian Dunn, fellow Wheel of Time fan and musician, who you heard on this show. P.S. That was Brian. Uh, who also <laughs> created the amazing intro and outro tracks for this podcast. You can find more of his work at BrianDunnMusic.net. And that's Brian with a Y and Dunn with two N's. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave a review and or a rating on the podcast platform of your choice. It helps other people find the show and we so appreciate it. Let's see. And you can find us other places. I'm on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And I also am podcasting for Book Riot on Get Booked and SFF Yeah regularly. And I am on all social medias. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok, at Run With Skizzers, S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S. Um, you can find me co-hosting Desi Geek Girls with Swapna Krishna. And you can find all of my books that I have written and am writing and will be coming out at preetheachipper.com. So many books. So many books, including Spider-Man's Social Dilemma, which is up for pre-order and out this summer. Yay! And a Black Cat short in Marvel's Women of Marvel issue, which is coming out this March. Amazing. Ah, it's so much and so cool. <laughs> you fancy. <laughs> I say yes to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Tarvalon or Bust. We have a good time. I think it's safe to say. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So many good comments. Mm -hmm. Like, I am, I can't believe we didn't think of this, but Ruth's comment about how different that scene with Peyton Fane and Perrin would have gone. In had, the finale, yeah. In the finale, yeah. Had Matt been there? Because so right. Like, mm -hmm. so, so, so right, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Like, it's just, yeah, it's so interesting. It was so, it's such a good thought. <laughs> it, it really is because I, picturing Matt in that scene and picturing Peyton Fane saying the thing about the darkness to mm -hmm. Matt versus like, as and we don't know what their intent was, but right. well, I like that. I think it's deliberate that they showed a cut shot of Matt when he was I know. like, and one of you will turn to the dark. So. But having Matt contend with that being spoken to him yes. versus this implication that it shall just come to pass. Yeah. Uh, wildly different yeah yeah that was a really good point i also really loved mimi distinguishing between the macro canon versus the micro canon and the way mm. they're adapting the show yeah like, oh that's such good framing like i hadn't thought about it that way before also her imitation of your anxiety noise was so spot on <laughs> like, that killed me <laughs> that was not so like I'm not sure that I'm conscious that I'm doing it so that was very funny to me because I think <laughs> like people comment on our laughter a lot I think yes. but the other noises is not they are not so frequently brought up <laughs> yeah yeah that was a good one um I also really appreciated Evan's note about Tamerlin yes that was fascinating and also kind of hilarious of like, it's from this like short story. <laughs> <laughs> the like amount of lore that y'all have access to in your brains is never endingly impressive to it, me. Like Seriously. <laughs> so, so intense. I can't remember books that we have literally talked about on this podcast. I'm like, did we read that? Did we, have we did that happen? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, yeah, it happened in the la like the book you read like a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, okay. I will have to take your word for it. But yeah, that was super good. I also really loved Brendan's comment about Oriel 
Orientalism and the portrayal mm-hmm. of the Shanshan and colonialism. Like that is such an interesting point that I did not think about, like how m- much more they could do with a mm-hmm. different costume design. Yeah. And like we haven't, I guess we kind of heard them talk. Like they talked in not a language, right, that we know. So, but yeah, super interesting. Super interesting. Yeah, they have time to like consider how they're going to approach that because agreed. Yeah. It, it It's like a, it's like a shift in, in perspective on how to like consider them. Yeah. I love the idea of them being like colonists yeah well because they are but like being portrayed that way as opposed to like an othering like an exoticizing as it were yeah Um, like for a western audience obviously yeah let them be western colonizers yeah yeah agreed interesting there are just so many like you you all brought up so many like interesting and cool points like Mm -hmm. we really appreciate everyone who took the time to call in yeah yeah so awesome like your thoughtfulness and your kindness are are like a balm to the soul (laughs) really Mm. they are i was like listening to them and texting jen it's like everyone's so nice (laughs) i know it's really it's very heartwarming thank you all um we so this will go up a couple days before our first episode on a new spring which is up on wednesday january something 12th yeah is that right yes yes january 12th um but so keep an eye out for that uh you can keep an eye out for all tarval and her bust episodes that now that we're back to our book scheduling Every other Wednesday, uh, you can follow along with us on social with hashtag Tarvalin or Bust. And a big thank you to Brian Dunn, fellow Wheel of Time fan and musician, who you heard on this show. P.S. That was Brian. Uh, who also created <laughs> the amazing intro and outro tracks for this podcast. You can find more of his work at BrianDunnMusic.net. And that's Brian with a Y and Dunn with two N's. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave a review and or a rating on the podcast platform of your choice. It helps other people find the show and we so appreciate it. Let's see. And you can find us other places. I'm on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And I also am podcasting for Book Riot on Get Booked and SFF Yeah regularly. And I am on all social medias. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok, at Run With Skizzers, S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S. Um, you can find me co-hosting Daisy Geek Girls with Swapna Krishna. And you can find all of my books that I have written and am writing and will be coming out at freethechipper.com. So and many books. So many books, including Spider-Man's Social Dilemma, which is up for pre-order and out this summer. Yay! And a Black Cat short in Marvel's Women of Marvel issue, which is coming out this March. Amazing. Ah, it's so much and so cool. <laughs> you fancy. <laughs> I say yes to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Tarvalin or Bust. We have a good time. I think it's safe to say. Huge shout out to all of our wonderful Patreon supporters. David N., Ariel B., Amy A., Michael, Linnea M., Lindsay W., Julie, Danielle G., Dan B., John A., Clara H., Carly, Brendan O., Has Matilda, Mary G., Akil A., Gretchen W., Caroline P., Joe E., James K., Mathis, 
Joseph S., Ryan M., Sarah Rebecca, Kelly T., Helen D., Joshua M., Michael D., Dre, M. Lethem, Janae H., Jennifer P., Peace Vulcan, Rio Well, Christina G., Chaitali S., Charlie E., Arcade, Stephen S., James, Barry Q., Ruth A., Catherine, Jetlag Jessica, Support Your Local Library, Sam S., David U., Amy R., Meridim, Mimi K., Amanda, Mark D., Heather J., Christina M., Malia H., Keith, Sirius G., Olivia K., Joshua S., Nicholas E., Michelle S., Michelle D., Danae, Destination Toast, MJ, Kat S., Jericho W., Saber Bouquet, Thomas K., Elizabeth F., Emily, Evans K., Ola J., Yulia S., and Brian D. This episode is not the ending. There are neither beginnings nor endings to The Wheel of Time, but it is an ending. Bye! <laughs>